0: This is Yehudah HaKohen, Brit Chazon, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. With me today is an old friend, colleague, Mishai Fleischer. He's the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron. Quite a position, quite a
1: schut, right? It is a a humongous schut to to help uh, develop, build, care for, defend uh, this Jewish community, which which is, it's not just a Jewish community. No. It's not like a town. No, no, no. It, it, it's, it's, it's really the cradle of, of Jewish civilization. It's the forefathers and mothers, and it's a place under attack daily, and it's one of the epicenters, uh, the ground zero of the effort to, uh, to unhinge our presence in this land, and uh, that's, it's specifically this town. So, so every day you'll see in the town really all kinds of forces, from Jewish uh, Anti-Israel forces to Zionist forces that want to see Jews not live in Hebron because maybe it's better for peace, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, to international forces from churches that are anti-Israel mm-hmm. to, uh, Palestinians. to to pa- certainly Jihad elements within the Palestinian society, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to see it all on the street. It's like mm-hmm. a it's like a zoo out there. Uh, you really get if you like if people talk about you know, I don't know, BDS or whatever it is, you want to see the real fight mm. uh, uh, and you want to see the appearance of these forces, like, just talk to them, mm. which I get to do. That's definitely something that, uh, that happens in Hebron. Mm. But, but on the other mm. hand, you also see tons of people from throughout the world, mm. Jews, Christians, Muslims, who want to connect with the heritage of Abraham. Uh, and are coming to Hebron, and we have just had a record-breaking year mm-hmm. of 1.5 million tourists. In one year? In one year, mm-hmm. at the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. The and Mar- and you're saying that
0: all of these, the 1.5 million tourists, are coming in solidarity with the Jewish community? No. Oh.
1: I said that they're coming I mean, that includes to, some of
0: the internationals who are causing trouble.
1: No. It includes... It's 1.5 million visitors to the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, mm-hmm. mostly to either worship or to enjoy the history, uh, pilgrimage, if you will. It's Mm -hmm. always been a site for pilgrimage. It is a
0: site for pilgrimage. It's important, listeners, know this, that Hebron is significant, first of all, because our patriarchs are buried there, three of our matriarchs are buried there. Uh, Also, it's a place that traditionally our people go to for strength, for like an inner, you can say, radicalization, meaning from the time of Kalev ben Yifune, Hebron was always a place that Jews who felt maybe at risk of selling out, Selling out their ideology, selling out their principles. They needed to be strengthened in the fight to stand up for the interests of their people, the aspirations of their people. Hebron was a place to come to for that strength. And, you know, I give a lot of tours of Hebron. You know that. Sure. I don't know if our listeners know that. Most of the tours. And we, and we love it when you're there. And most of the tours I give are not to Jewish groups or pro Jewish groups. But when I give these tours, one of the things I mention as we're taking the bus to Hebron from Jerusalem is that this is a place that radicalizes its inhabitants and even its guests. Meaning, when you step off the bus and your foot touches the ground of Hebron, you'll feel an intensity. And I personally believe that that intensity would be there even if there were no Jews or Palestinians living there. Mm-hmm. That that's the intensity is coming from the city, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Jews and Palestinians who would be characterized as radical or extreme in the media are being impacted by the energy that's there.
1: Right. So that's a, that's a good point and I just want to make sure that everybody understands or, or at least people who are, li- th- are regular listeners to yours mm-hmm. will, will understand but I just want to make sure that, that, that people coming through my kind of world understand. When you say radicalizes you really mean turn on. You mean like get excited, get empowered, get passionate. You don't mean just necessarily a kind of I mean, you say the radicalization is you're using it as a positive value. Either. It's neutral. Right. Okay. I mean, meaning it can
0: go good, it can right. go bad. People living in Hebron, uh, for the most part, I don't think, are just looking for the quote-unquote American dream.
1: Right. So, so, so I, I'm going to totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. But the thing about places like Hebron, the Tomb of Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, the Mount of Olives, where we, you used to live and I used to live, uh, places of, an, of high intensity, mm-hmm. Uh, and places of great amount of history, mm-hmm. they have a complexity to them. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a complexity to the flavor. So I'm going to totally agree with what you said about this kind of passionate radicalization. But there's another side, mm-hmm. which is sometimes in Hebron, how I start my tours is almost exactly the opposite. I sometimes sit people on the grass of Marat HaMachpela, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, and I say, do you feel that peacefulness? People are like, Yeah. I'm like, there's a whole world buzzing around this, but there's something so peaceful here. They're like, yeah. I'm like, that's because this is moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas balcony. Mm. It's their home, your home. Like, there's a peacefulness here. There's an eternal rest. There's a great success that happened here. These are the people that walked with God. They're here for kind of eternity. It's purchased land. It's ours. The gate and to Gan Eden. The, there's the gate to Gan Eden, Garden of Eden, as the, as the Medrash and the Kabbalah says. And so there's something actually exactly the opposite mm. of what you said, which is, an incredible peace if you mm-hmm. let yourself, if you let yourself well, hear it. To be honest,
0: Yisheh, I find radicalization to be very peaceful. That's
1: fine. Yeah. That's fine. And, and I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not countering mm. what you said by negating it. Mm-hmm. I'm, also, I'm just saying there's a complexity of flavor yeah. and there's something there. If you allow yourself, you can actually take a deep breath, think about the Bible's great secrets, think about Abraham walking in the footsteps of, of God alone, In this land, Uh, you can think about King David writing his songs, his psalms, etc. You can think about Maimonides coming there through thick and thin in the year 1165 on on the ninth of Cheshvan, and so there's just there's just something which is like if you allow yourself, you can really enjoy something that will never. Here's the point: it'll never be moved. It'll Mm. never. It's immovable. It's unbreakable. That, that, that feeling and, and that's, that's that is
0: the feeling the truth is that radicalization I spoke of is a feeling of like unbreakable right it's a feeling of you cannot stop this right
1: but there's two ways of, un- of feeling mm-hmm. unbreakable one is an aggressive feeling like, like you will never break me and that's good mm-hmm. and we have that in Chevron certainly mm-hmm. and then there's a thing like like a Zen type of like like right. meaning don't worry about it yeah there's nothing there's nothing right to change or to fix we'll and there's forward. nothing it's perfect yeah right.
0: So, yeah, so Chevron is for people who don't know, and I'd be surprised if people don't know, but for those who don't know, Chevron, we're talking about a Jewish community in an urban enclave, which is the quote-unquote Jewish quarter historically, of a city that is the largest Palestinian city in the country.
1: Yeah, the, that's all correct. Uh, I would... I would uh, Just for context. Absolutely. Everything, and, everything you said and, is right. And we're
0: talking about... Also, I don't know if listeners know that there's, there's no area A, B, and C in Hebron. You have H1 and you have H2. 80% of the city, our Prime Minister, Bibi Netanyahu, gave to Yasser Arafat in the 90s at the behest of Bill Clinton. And uh, the 20% that, that is still under Israeli control, H2, uh, Jews are only
1: able to be in a very, very, very small part of that city. Again, everything you're saying is right, mm-hmm. but but just beforehand, we're we're dealing with a 4,500 year old city,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is one of the oldest cities in the world. Mm-hmm. Really, that's the edge of of ancient cities. Aleppo is like that. Jericho is like that. Jaffa is like that. We're talking about a 4,500 year old city, mm-hmm. and Abraham shows up when it's already when when it's already a 700 year old city. So when he shows up, it's ancient. Right. Just just for context, it's a it's an ancient human habitation. Mm-hmm. Now Jewish people, we've been uh, living there. Really, since Abraham was buried there, maybe a few hundred years afterwards, let's say for the last 3,500 years, we've been living there. Really nonstop, with very few stops. And at times we were an ethnic majority. Mm -hmm. At other times we were an ethnic minority. Abraham was an ethnic minority. Mm -hmm. When he showed up there, there were Hittites in the town. Um, Later on, during the first temple, King David's time and his his sons, we were an ethnic majority. We were the the folks. Mm -hmm. In the second temple period, um, well, there were Edomians that lived down there, and Yehuda Maccabee converted them to Judaism. I uh,
0: know, his nephew. Yochanan Harkinus. Yochanan
1: Harkinus. Yochanan Harkinus. Yeah, I, Yochanan. I thought it was Maccabee that actually no, came down there. But in any Yochanan
0: case, Harkinus. in any case, the Maccabees... He, he basically did something... I, I don't like the word conversion, by the way. I think it's a very problematic mistranslation of viewer. Okay. Okay. I think naturalization would be better. Good. Because. like that. I right. like that very much. Because we're not becoming a religion, you know what I mean? We're, I like we're joining very, a people in I like story. that very much. I like that very much. But what Yochanan Harkinus did, which is interesting, halachically, is he basically, he enslaved the Edomites and then he set them free. And they became automatic Jews, essentially. And by the way, the Muslim term Dhimmi likely comes from the Hebrew Edomi.
1: Mm, I never meaning, heard that.
0: Meaning that there is the status of the Edomites in Judean society it was kind of like an inspiration for this notion of Dimi later on in history.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the halachic uh, explanation. But the simple explanation is, he came to them and he said, you either convert... Or join leave, us, join us. Join us, you become us. naturalized. Yes. Mm-hmm. Join us, or leave, mm-hmm. or fight and die. Right. Uh, and they chose to stay, and they became actually a very they became very prominent members of the Jewish well, society. Well, one became king. Uh, that's right. And, and, and built
0: the structure above the cave of the patriarch. That's right.
1: Some people say, by the way, that uh, that later on the Bar Kokhba revolt that cause mm. is a for, is the god of the, the before they became naturalized Jews. Was the god of, of, of Edomians. Really? And, and that basically he was of Edomian stock. And they, were, they became actually great fighters for the Jews. In any case... On one side of his lineage. one, one lineage. That's right. Okay. In any case, uh, today, as you started saying before Yehuda, uh, Hebron, mm-hmm. the Jewish community of Hebron, is a small enclave that exists basically where, where we have existed for hundreds of years mm-hmm. under Islam. Uh, in this kind of ghettoized quarter. Today well, under everybody. Well, not exactly. Um, well, there were Jews
0: there at the time of the Crusades, right? There were Jews there, there at the time Jews, of the Byzantines. Let, let's
1: start from the beginning. Let, let's, let's, right. let's, 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 let's make it clear. Jew, Jews were there, as I said, for the last 3,500 years. We talked yeah. about the First Temple, the Second mm-hmm. Temple. Then after the destruction of the Second Temple, Byzantium came in, Jews mm-hmm. stayed in the town. Mm-hmm. The, the Byzantines built a big church mm-hmm. on top of, oh, we forgot to say, Herod, at the end of the Second Temple period, builds this right. giant monumental structure. Mm-hmm. Now, that giant monumental structure is unique in that it stands to this very day, and it's really never been uh, destroyed, only added on mm-hmm. uh, Just a, a little poignant thing that I want to say to you is that uh, in Jerusalem recently, it was the pilgrimage road has been uncovered in the city of David. Mm-hmm. So they're like, come see an uncovered 2,000-year-old floor, walk this floor that, is, that hasn't been walked in 2,000 years. In Hebron, we have the same floor, but it's, not been, it's never been uncovered because it never got covered. Right. It's just the same old floor that's been around for the last 2,000 years. So we're dealing with a building that is very ancient. and Really, really. I had a, I had a tourist who said to me, this is nice, but where's the archaeology? Mm-hmm. As in, he didn't understand that we we're actually uh, 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 walking on just an ancient, ancient structure. Then after the destruction of the Second Temple, Jews stayed around mm-hmm. uh, under Byzantium, later under the Arab conquest, later under the Crusades. It seems like they may have run away for a little bit of time during the Crusades, but then came back and the crusaders did not touch them. Then under the Mamluk period, the Mamluk's uh, did something pretty radical. Uh, They added on to the, just like everybody else, they added on to the building, uh, the Herodian structure of the tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, but they kicked the Jews out in the year 1267. Kicked the Jews out and Jews prayed outside of the building. The outer uh, eastern wall of the building was a place where Jews prayed, the so-called seventh step, Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's where Jews, and Jews indeed lived in this little ghettoized uh, thing. And they continue to live in a ghettoized way today. And when the Jews, Jews were kicked out of the town in 1929, uh, when a jihadist riot swept through the town, uh, and then the British government, which was uh, which was the police force of the town, said we can no longer protect you, and they were maybe uh, uh, in cahoots or not, but or in any case... Or orchestrated the whole thing. Or orchestrated the right. thing, or at least allowed but, but, it to happen. They,
0: they expelled the Jewish community afterwards.
1: In simple, in simple terms, they ethnically mm-hmm. cleansed the Jews from, from the city of And Am even Hebron. when we
0: tried to come back in the 1930s, they 1936,
1: we were once again expelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 1948, Jordan comes in. As you have said, and I'll never forget that you told me years ago, uh, Jordan's army was led, trained, and armed, or armed, trained, and led. Uh, by the British army also. By Glob Pasha. By Glob Pasha, of course. Sir John That's right. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, Jewish Hebron was, Jews were just barred from Hebron altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Jewish uh, property was, was taken. All of its markings were destroyed. Most, of many of its markings were destroyed, including the Jewish cemetery. And the Jewish people were totally out of Hebron from 1929 till 1967. 1967, we returned to the miraculous uh, victory of, of the Six-Day War. Um. But the Israeli government uh, at the time uh, suffered what it continues to sometimes suffer from, which was ambivalence. Ambivalence. And they were ambivalent towards Jewish restoration of Jewish rights in, in Judea and, and it's specifically in Hebron. Uh, but there was a group of Jews who uh, uh, with, with, without ambivalence, with clarity, with courage, uh, went to, to live there and basically, in short, forced the Israeli government, to accept that Jewish life in Hebron was going to be restarted. That forcing of Jewish life in Hebron was also the keystone to the beginning of the effort to reclaim Jewish rights in Judea and Samaria in general. All right, so Hebron is also, another thing about Hebron is it's been a leader mm-hmm. in the so-called settlement movement.
0: Uh, one thing you missed, I guess, that's important to me, that I usually take every group I bring to Hebron, where the Emperor Hadrian built a slave market. It's where Ashkenazim come from. You know, I bring sometimes these German and Polish and Italian tourists to Hebron, and I ask, uh, who here has heard of an Ashkenazi Jew? You should know that this right here where we're standing is the birthplace of the Ashkenazi Jewish community. Then I tell the story of the Bar Kokhba revolt, and I tell how... Hadrian, after the destruction of Beitar, took the surviving soldiers of Bar Kokhba and their supporters to Hebron, to al Mamre, and sold us into slavery for the price it would cost to feed a donkey for one day. And that this is all the Jews who were in Europe, you know, from then on, for the next, uh, whatever, 17, 18, 1900 years, were from Hebron. That Hebron is actually the birthplace of Ashkenazi Jews. And I think that recontextualizes a lot of our history and a lot of our identity for people who just don't understand our story. You know that since we lost Kush one of the things that's really been driving me is this idea that we're not good at telling our story. Some of our greatest fighters, some of our greatest activists, some of our greatest leaders are great when it comes to the internal struggles. But when it comes to putting our story and our struggle into an international context, or being able to tell our story to other people in the world who aren't intimately familiar with our story, our history, our traditions, our culture, a lot of it makes no sense. One of the problems with our story that is unique to us, I don't think too many other peoples have this problem, is we don't fit into the boxes most of the world is used to. Like, you can't just put us into one category or another. So I think it's really important at least you know, for me, I know that I might have a different audience than you when I'm giving tours in Hebron. For me, it's very important to contextualize what's going on in Hebron um, and to, to separate a lot of issues that I think need to be separated. Like, for example, I think it's very important that Jews live in Hebron. I want more Jews to live in Hebron, I, not only in you know 3% of the city. I think we should be able to live in 100% of the city. But at the same time, I don't like how Jews are living in Hebron. I don't like the fact, and it's not just... Hebron might be an extreme example. I think it's accurate to say that the Palestinians living in H2, specifically in the 3% of the city where the Jews live, are probably the Palestinians experiencing occupation the harshest. Like, their reality is harshest in terms of curfews, in terms of you know, checkpoints to get somewhere just across the street, in terms of you know restrictions on freedom of movement, etc. Obviously, there's a conflict, and obviously there's history, and obviously these things are difficult, but... For me, I think that we're already at a point where Israel's military occupation of the West Bank undermines the Jewish people's legitimate right to Judea and Samaria, meaning that we're not the Americans in Afghanistan. The problem is we haven't yet gone through the process of asking ourselves what the Jewish people reborn in its land is supposed to behave like in this situation. What we, we're not used to power, meaning we've had a 2000-year experience of powerlessness. And now that we have power again, we don't know how to use it. Some of us want to err too, too far on the side of caution and not use power at all. Some of us just want to say, hey, screw everybody. We have power now. We can use it. Uh, but I think that there's a, there's a way that a people that has self-respect and self-confidence and power uses that power in order to advance their objectives, in order to advance their aspirations forward. And I think that's... A little bit of where we're stuck, I think Zionism achieved many, many, many incredible accomplishments for the Jewish people. A lot of the things we say in the Amidah, a lot of the things that we say in the Shemona Esrei were fulfilled through the Zionist movement, but we got stuck somewhere. I think after the Six-Day War, after we returned to Jerusalem and to Samaria and Judea and Gaza and Golan and, and Sinai, we just stopped. The revolution went on pause. And I think in order for us to be able to move forward, we have to really go deeper think about what are the goals of Jewish history, uh, what have we already achieved, what's left to achieve, and I think it might be as easy as opening up a door and seeing what comes next in the Shemona Esra. Mm-hmm. And what are the obstacles standing in the way, and what can we do to be characters in the story of smashing those obstacles? How do we become, not students of Herzl, or students of a Am, or students of Jabotinsky, but how do we become the next Herzls? How do we become the thought leaders of a new Jewish liberation ideology that can protect Zionism's positive achievements while cleaning up its mess?
1: Um, I, think that, I think that in order to achieve the things that you're talking about and to act like a natural entity on the land, in order to do that, you really have to not have the characteristic trait of ambivalence. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you call occupation, I don't particularly like the that structures word. structures of occupation. It's fine. Okay. I, I'm sorry, that's not my okay. favorite word. But the the military presence of Israel and definitely the structure of the um, the civil administration, mm-hmm. which is a kind of secret army that controls Palestinian life, but really controls Israeli life as well in, in the, the West in, Bank. In the West Bank, yeah. and especially in actually, Talon. especially <laughs> in Hebron, but especially actually, it's it's harsher against the Jews than it is against the Arabs. In general, this, this machinery that you speak of... Would you say that is
0: a Jewish experience? A Jewish experience in Hebron is that the civil administration and the Israeli
1: army is harsher against us than it is against them? 100%. That's interesting. One hundred. I, I, I would say that, and I don't mean that in any way to belittle mm-hmm. any, any discomfort or, or, or life issues no, that Arabs have, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even addressing that. But if I would just compare it, I would say the Jews have it a lot rougher. A lot rougher under the civil administration. Can you provide an example? Now, the simplest example of them all is building. Mm-hmm. Because we have children in Hebron. We do not have places to put the next generation at all. And that's because we are not given rights to build, even on properties that we owned before 1929. And to get a building going is just an—it's just an, the hardest thing in the world, the bureaucratic nightmare. Right. While, in, while, in
0: truth, people should know that almost every Jewish home in Hebron was bought with blood. Absolutely. Meaning Jews had to die right. for... Just or, or
1: just let's make it even simpler. Houses that were ours before 1929 have still not returned to our mm. property, and and the courts know it, and the laws, and we have all the records. We have everything. Mm. We're a very record keeping place. We have a lot of you know knowledge of what happened, where people lived, and which families, and all the stuff we have. We haven't been able to get it back. Arabs, on the other hand, they have the issues that they face. But they are building non-stop, non-stop over there. All around exactly where we can't build, they're building all around it. And I see them looking at us because there is a competition of building. And I see them rebuilding old uh, broken down houses and, and right next to us. And we're just, we're just unable to move forward. And, and the police and the army is harsh on us when we try to do anything mm-hmm. like that. For example, recently we just floored, we just put a, a little floor in a park. The Supreme Court of Israel ordered us to tear it down. We have we put signs in Hebrew. Supreme, we have a Supreme Court challenge right now. Mm-hmm. A, a Jewish prayer site at the top of Hebron, uh, the top of Chevron and area called Tel Hebron or Tel Rometa, uh, uh that was has been Jewish for for thousands of years, but certainly we have records for the last hundreds of years is now being challenged as a Muslim site. And we are we had to take out you know we had to close a archaeological find there in a synagogue and take stuff out and. So we, 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 yeah. we definitely no, face... I, I
0: think it's fair to say that Israel's ruling class feels threatened by the identity, the Jewish identity that comes out of Hebron. Meaning it's okay. not... Okay, you, you're,
1: like it, you're giving it a, a depth, and with your might be right, but, I, but you asked me whether mm-hmm. we feel a right. persecution. I feel more persecution at the hands of the Israeli government than I think that my Arab neighbors do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just right. the way I see it.
0: But you acknowledge they'd probably disagree with that. I...
1: I I'm, right. uh, that's yeah, that's fine. I'm just giving well, you my perspective. Let, let me ask But you. wait, but I want to get to that, but there's one thing that you said that I, I need to comment on. Okay. Yeah, And I, I ask for your permission to comment on which is, in order to be all that, mm-hmm. to be what you said and the way you said it about being the heroes and, and being the natural people in our land, and in order to do that, there's actually a very basic step mm-hmm. that you have to have. Internally? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that basic step is reading the Tanakh, reading the Torah, reading the Bible, however you want to say it, and internalizing its narrative, its messages. Mm-hmm. It's names. What do I mean? My colleagues in the Israeli army mm-hmm. don't know what I like to call the Bet of Bereshit. They, mm-hmm. don't, know the, they don't know the book of Genesis, let alone the 24 mm-hmm. books of the, of the, of the Tanakh and, and, and the Mishnah and the Talmud. Let, they don't know the very, very basics. Now, me, I, I, I'm a literature person. I read the Torah. It's just very meaningful to me. I identify with those characters. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when I say Hebron, my the, the the catalog in my mind says Hebron is where Abraham. Home. No, but it says a lot of stories. It says Abraham. It says it says Jacob is buried there. It says no King David. David. It says it says it says Kalev et Ben cetera, etc. etc. It says the Rambam. It goes and I feel all of those things. And where our ancestors were sold into slavery from. Okay, great. But when I say that word Hebron or Hebron to my Israeli paratrooper officer friend who's putting his life on the line, I say Hebron, the only thing that rings in his head is uh, obnoxious Jews... Uh, uh, dangerous jihadis, a place that is an Arab place that who the heck needs anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you don't have identification mm-hmm. with those things, not to mention, of course, the mm-hmm. values, the values of the of the Tanakh. If I have the if I've read the Tanakh, I know who Philistines are, and I know who Jews are, I know where we've lived, I know who the good guys are, I know the bad guys. I get a set, at least I get a I get a language. It gives you a meta narrative. It gives me a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. It gives me a also, and you taught me this. It gives me a Middle Eastern narrative. Okay, it, may, it teaches me how to deal with people in the Middle East. And so, so, now, if I don't have that meta narrative, if it's not running through my head, then we're gonna have very, very different conversations. Yeah. Okay, and that's what's happening with that so-called ruling class that you said, or with a lot of you know, soldiers, a lot of things. They just don't know that it's a Jewish city. And then if somebody says to them, hey, Israel's occupying a land not theirs, they're like, okay, they mm-hmm. could just buy into that. So to yeah. me, if I, my, my phase in life right now is to bring the Bible back mm-hmm. into Jewish society. Okay. Or the Tanakh, however I, I,
0: I hear what you're saying, but I think that the way you say it might be confusing for some people. I want to say it back to you in a way that I think is actually what you're saying. Because I think that when a lot of people hear what you just said, they hear the Bible. They hear Tanakh, which they might think is just a Hebrew translation of the Bible. And they think of an ancient religious book that's informing your identity and informing your politics and informing the way you're experiencing life and almost as if you're some kind of wacko fundamentalist Christian. And for us, the Tanakh, the Torah, isn't some ancient book. It's a part of our native culture. It's part of our identity. It's part of our story. It's part of who we are, meaning we're not the people, we're we're not the people who believe in the Tanakh. We're the characters from the Tanakh. Our identity is so tied up with a worldview. I would say it like this. A couple hundred years ago, our identity, especially for Ashkenazi Jews in Europe, went through a very, very catastrophic experience that we call the Haskalah, the Enlightenment. We, for the first time in history, started to convince ourselves that we could be Germans with a Jewish religion and Frenchmen with a Jewish religion. Until then, we were refugees. Until then, we were basically refugees telling our children we're gonna go home and we're gonna have independence in Jerusalem. And that was the theme of Jewish history for 1700 years, that we're going to go back to our land and restore our independence. And then, because of all of the persecution and all of the fear of further persecution, we jumped at the chance to become included within European societies. And we told a lie. We told a lie to our neighbors and we told a lie to ourselves. That our Jewishness is a religious identity. It's not who we really are. We can be Germans just like you, we can be Frenchmen just like you. And of course, as our identity becomes reduced to a religious identity, the further westernization or colonization of our identity is, hey, we want denominations too. They have Methodists and Protestants and Catholics, and why can't we have? We'll have Orthodox and Reform and all these things. And, you know, when we look at this superficially, we assume that the Orthodox is the correct one, the authentic one, and the rest are just these kind of like modern splinter groups. But the truth is, the Orthodox did, to their credit, preserve the legal and maybe to a certain extent the spiritual components of our identity. But just like the other movements, they abandoned the other aspects of our identity. And so now when we talk about the Tanakh and when we talk about Torah, when we talk about, you know, Nivuah, we're talking about a feature of our identity, a feature of our story, a feature of who we are, how we've seen ourselves, how we see the world for thousands of years. And it can't be Compared to some like religious guy who believes in his book, and and what you're talking about when you describe these soldiers who don't know what Chevron is and don't know the Bet in Bereshit, it's not that they don't know a religion called Judaism. It's that they don't know their own history, they yeah. don't know their own identity, they don't know their own connection to their homeland.
1: I, I think I think I I think I uh, I think I said that, yeah. but uh, I don't think I said something different. And 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 I'm and I was saying that that. A person doesn't. We said meta narrative and internal narrative, but right. it's not a. It's not a. It's not. It's not. Let's. If 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 you understood what I was saying, or you think no, that, I, I that some of the, the audience it. understood it differently, I'll, I'll say it again. Right. It's not to understand a foreign piece of information mm. and to become a Zen Buddhist mm. or to become something like this. This is the very fabric of who we are. These are the stories that 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 nurtured our people. This it's, and it's not stories about something else. It's a story about us, right. about our right. family, right. in our exactly. language. And we've been carrying this book for 3,800 well, well, well,
0: years. Let, let's say it this way We care about Chevron and the people buried there, not because we have a religious belief right. that some pious individuals and some saints are buried there. We know that our ancestors right. are buried there. Right.
1: If, if, if anything, Chevron is the exact, uh, exact enunciation of what you're saying. Yes. It's like it itself is a genetic. Nash, it's, like, it's, it's, our, it's our fathers and mothers a- and that's why it's that's who we are and, and right. it's such a raw place it's
0: very it raw is, it's one of the you know there's four cities in, in this country that have unique like characteristics you know like Jerusalem is fire and Tiberias is water and Svat is air and of course when you meet people from Svat, they're airy people in right. fact right. and people from Jerusalem are fiery right. and in uh, Hebron they're people of the earth right Hebron is a power of earth it's an right. intensity when, when I love to go to Hebron and I appreciate every time you give me an opportunity to come to Hebron sure. Because I need, but there's, the, I thrive right. on that intensity. Right. I love that. I, I do yet, have and a chavron nishama. Right. I, I am yet, a chavron. Right. Down.
1: Right. And yet, and yet, there's another side to chevron, mm. which is which is earth is also actually at peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things rain on on, on the earth. Mm-hmm. It accepts. Rocks are immobile. Absorbs. There's absorbs. There's there's yeah. there's, a, there's a kind of finality or like immobility that mm. is that gives peace. I enjoy that other side. Like, I'm with you. And, like, and a lot of times we're fighting. And you're talking about fighting. You're talking about fighting for what's right, for what's just. It's earthiness. It's, it's like gritty. It's gritty. That's the word. Mm-hmm. But then there's, like, sometimes I need to take a walk. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes just take a walk in Hebron. And I, and I feel the ancient winds. Mm-hmm. I feel that river, the Hebron River that flows into the Dead Sea. And the sky mm-hmm. at night
0: is the, unique in Hebron. Um, it's the
1: best night, night in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's just, and sometimes somebody comes with a guitar. You'll have a Brechtlov guy that comes with a guitar, and he just, he just gets it right. There's, there's mm-hmm. something, and I, I only want to, and I don't want to in any way undermine what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I just want to say there's this, there's this duality there. Mm-hmm. So you maybe the duality is between death and life, like the forefathers and mothers are buried there, mm-hmm. and yet we say they're alive. Mm-hmm. So, so there's like the life wanting to, like the, the the fight to live out of the rock, but there's also a certain acceptance that, that this is God's way, this is God's world, and. And we're in this chosen land. And your task, your function,
0: you're serving the Jewish people as the international spokesperson of Hebron. Like, you are tasked with going around the world and actually representing this community, a community that the majority of the world says has no legitimate right to live in this place. Right. That shouldn't be there. Right. That is making the world worse by being there. Right. Is it easier for you to get in front of
1: audiences? Are people looking to hear from you? Are people trying to shut you out of the conversation? It's actually both, right? Mm. It, It depends where. Like, um... People definitely want to engage. Mm-hmm. They, they want to hear you say it. They want to trip you up a lot mm-hmm. of times. Okay. That's a big thing. They definitely want to trip you up. They, they, they want to caricature you. They want to characterize you. It's fun for them to trip you up, and, mm-hmm. and they want to just show you character characterize, characterize is right. They want yeah. to show you off to be a buffoon and mm-hmm. a murderer and a, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And a religious fanatic. And
1: a religious fanatic, and also a hater. A hater. Mm-hmm. I hate her. Uh, but I don't. I don't actually get too nervous about that stuff because uh, the the truth is very deep, and I really. When I start when I talk with people who are really coming from that point of view, I really think the first thing always is just a short summation of history, mm-hmm. and I use all the proper words to make people feel more at ease. This is our this is our how we self-identify. This is our this is our story. This is our perception, This is my narrative. It's my perspective. Uh, you don't have to accept it, but let me share with you. Mm-hmm. You know, here's your opportunity to hear from a person like me. You know, help people get their guard down. But then just go through through history. Uh, and and that really that really does a lot to to bring down the the, the fences, and then I think that that one of the big things is that there's this interest in the people that want to kick Jews out of Hebron to paint them as radical in a negative sense. I mean, and anti-Arab. That mm-hmm. is one of the main things. And not not through apologetics, but just through true mm-hmm. reality, I'm able to show them that. Uh, but that's just simply not true. We have a battle with forces that want to destroy us, but we are not anti-Arab. Well, In fact, what's Hebron the relationship is a place, like? Well, it well it depends. So, so, here's the bad side. Yeah. The bad side is the mayor of Arab Hebron is a guy by the name of Jassir Abu Snenna. He is a person who uh, uh, self-proclaims that he was one of the murderers of a 1980 terrorist attack. In Beit Hadassah, so he is a person who, who, who uh, actually. who the
0: yeshiva students?
1: Yes. He, that he was the gunman? Yes. He's one of the, one of the group of people. He threw grenades and, and bombs. Mm-hmm. He himself killed people. Mm-hmm. He himself killed people. Well, there's, maybe there's another Chesir Abu How do we know it's him? Well, he campaigned on that. Mm-hmm. We have videos, mm-hmm. translated videos of his campaign saying, ta da, you know, it's me. So give me more power because I did this in the past. Maybe I can do more. Right. I mean, Uh, we
0: have that too on our side. uh,
1: So I'll get to that in a second. So we, we. So you have. You have. Therefore, in Hebron. Uh, I wouldn't be by the way I wouldn't do that what you just did I wouldn't I, I wouldn't, think it's true yeah, maybe but I wouldn't jump to make like, we have it on the same side that's a no, very but we do yeah but that's, that's no, true mean, meaning, but I mean, that's, that's not that's a very no. American it's a very American like you see there's one side and then there's like an equal side on the other no but like,
0: it, I want to contextualize it because I think that like, I will like, get like, to the I'll give you an example yeah. We, you know, a lot of people make a lot of noise. A lot of Jews yeah. like to yell and scream about the fact that the Palestinian Authority pays the Palestinians who are sitting in prison for violence against Jews and, yeah. or people who've been out of jail or whatever. In the world they're living in, in the reality they're living in, those are their soldiers. Yeah, Just maybe. like we pay so, uh, injured soldiers, like, same thing. And certainly when we want to vote for somebody because he was in Sayeret Matkal and we respect him because of all the people that you know he fought in war, etc., same thing. It's their heroes and our heroes. It's not about moral equivalency, because the truth is, I think, I don't experience. Personally, I, I haven't for many years experienced it as like us versus them, uh, our story versus their story, our fighters versus their fighters. I very much see this conflict as one in which Jews and Palestinians are both victims in which outsiders are making lots of money. You know, and that is the true story. And
1: when I speak to Palestinians that way, they understand it right away. Yeah, right away. I wouldn't say that it's a true story. I would say that there's a truth in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. There is a way to perceive it that way. But I, I, also, I also resent... And that's the material reality. Uh, I resent when we start talking about people mm-hmm. who murdered us, be like, well, well we, got, we got people that murdered them. Like, before you do that... No, you and, fight for your, exactly. your side. Fight for your side. Exactly. Fight for your side. Exactly. But, I'm, and, but, and, but
0: acknowledge that there's nothing morally I, reprehensible about somebody who's experiencing the conflict they are Celebrating those who succeeded in taking out enemies. I don't
1: think it's morally repreh- no. reprehensible. I just think it's my enemy. Yeah, absolutely. and so I'm willing don't. to fight and destroy my enemy. Healthy. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't begrudge other people's national aspirations or their effort to b- beat me. Like it's. A, it's. A, there's a competition. Right. You understand I it. Get that. Yeah. You understand
0: uh, it because on some level you're like that as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I. And that's actually a very key component. In the way I see the the world is that like. We're Middle Easterners. Well, and we're, it's we're not
0: just Hebronites. Like yeah, at the end of the day, right. I always say that the Jews of Hebron and the Jews of Gitzar and the Jews of uh, other similar places, these are the Jews who should be leading our peace efforts. These are the Jews right. who should be our ambassadors to all the other peoples of the region, all right. the other Semitic peoples, because they are ironically the most decolonized of all of us. The w- ones, I- ones who have actually unpacked their identities the most and are
1: most fully living the aspirations of the Jewish people. I have, a, I have an Arab friend in Chevron, and at some point he said to me, well, I can't go to Jerusalem because Israel blocks me from going yeah. to Jerusalem. Which I is said, also true. I, absolutely. I said to him, you know what? I'll try to get you in. Mm-hmm. If you get in on one of these things, I'll take you around, mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you Jerusalem. You're going to love it. We're going to have some fun. I said to him, and he was like, really? You would do that? I'm like, absolutely, I would do that. And I also said to him, but if you mess around with me, I will be the first person to shoot you down. And, he was, and he's like, you mean that? I'm like, absolutely. Like, I'm your friend and I will show you, and I will. I want to treat you, but if you mess with me, like I am the last person to be messed with. And in any given room, I'm the first person to walk into uh, that room and talk with him, an Arab friend, and be really a a fellow, son of Abraham, and a regional. Can I person. ask you a question? But I would absolutely. Right, but, be, but that second part you yeah, said. Yeah.
0: That second part you said, could that be communicated non-verbally? No. Meaning, could that? Don't you think that would be like understood? No, anyway, no, it has got. Without it, you the, having there, to say it out
1: loud, he, 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 as just like he says to me, he's like the. He said to me, he always says to me, the Temple Mount is my red line. I would die for for the Temple Mount. Mm. He says it to me. He wants me to know that for him, it's a red line, and he's willing to die for it. Mm-hmm. And and I and you know what I said back to him? I'm like, that's fine because it's the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. If you want to go engage in a war, we could do that. No, sometimes you have to talk about things. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't think that that of course this is one on ones, but the the point is is that. You have to be... There's a certain amount of like clarity that, that is okay. There's, there has to be clarity between us. Like There are red lines. Don't think of me as one of these Jewish sissies. If I came up to you and I'm saying, I'll tour you in Jerusalem, don't misunderstand that. Don't misunderstand that somehow I'm like, you know, I'm one of these guys who's willing to give up my land for peace. And you're and, afraid
0: they'll misunderstand that?
1: Absolutely. They could because I try very hard to be... That's exactly my point. I, I, think, I think of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Abraham is a guy that has his tent open to four sides. Yeah. He's always welcoming guests Mm -hmm. and you think of him as Mr. Peace. Well, he was. And then he went but to when, war with But what exactly? The four but when somebody with messes people. with him or messes mm-hmm. with his family, he goes to war and he goes hardcore. But he probably doesn't talk about it. I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Listen, let's not argue about styles, okay? Mm-hmm. We all have our styles and 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 in 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 that case in any case it was I a get new, hung up on these very subtle details.
0: I apologize. That, that's uh, that's, I know that's, uh, that, that's fine. And, and that's I appreciate you tolerating me. Yeah, the, no,
1: I I don't mind, but I just wanted to remind you that that that, that, that we are out there mm-hmm. uh, on the front lines. We have different we all have different styles yeah. and and, and it's really not going to work in one unique style. The Jewish people are not the people of message discipline. And they're not going to do it in a perfect mm-hmm. way, in one way. That's just not our way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to learn from one guy and follow him. If we didn't learn from Moses and do it his way, we're not going to learn from Yehudah Koron or from Mishai Fleischer and do it that way. Mm-hmm. This, it's just not our people. So mm-hmm. we have different ways of doing it. But at the same time, there's, a, there's a, a beautiful ability that we do have once we get into the general zone of where from here. Look, there are some people in Hebron who are very rough with Arabs, mm-hmm. who say very rough things to them, and really are not friendly at all, um, and have this like, this kind of extremely abrasive side, and on because the one they hand they
0: perceive them as the enemy.
1: They perceive them as the enemy because their friends have died in their arms. Right. From t- today, by the way, uh, we mark the uh, uh, three year, three years since the murder of uh, Gennady Kaufman, uh, who, who was a friend of mine. And who was uh, murdered uh, across from the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs by a, a knife-wielding jihadist warrior who, yeah, saw, saw his cause maybe, but, but, mm-hmm. but, he, but, but he died and, and killed my friend, murdered my friend. And so, yeah, there are people in Hebron who definitely perceive Arabs as the enemy. On the other hand, we also have, we are the, and this is the complexity of the Middle East, we are also the people at the forefront of Arab-Jewish dialogue, I don't like some of these words like normalization stuff, but but, but you know you used to call. Well, it, there's
0: nothing normal about
1: it. Right? Well, there's a Semitic alliance, a Semitic understanding, regional realignment, maybe prosperity doctrine. However you want to see it, but let's let's just call it what it is: Arab Jewish, Arabs and Jews talking, Arabs and Pal- Jews and Palestinians talking, Israelis, Palestinians talking in about
0: in Hebron. Like, like Jewish Hebronites and Palestinian Hebronites Absolutely. getting
1: together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want to illustrate a story that happened to me, I want to illustrate the point with a story that happened to me recently. It's a very, very real story, and you yourself mm-hmm. were a witness to it. My daughter's bat mitzvah was was two months ago, and in our family, it's just a tradition to have fireworks, mm-hmm. and I tried, and we, it was at the tomb of the mothers and fathers in Chevron, and I wanted to get fireworks, and I couldn't figure out a way to do it, and I turned to Jewish forces, and mm-hmm. uh, Jewish firework shooters, and very expensive, a lot of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I asked people in Hebron for advice and nobody gave me advice. Finally, God put it into my mind to talk to my Arab friends. And I said to them, can you shoot fireworks from your Arab houses next to the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs for my daughter's bat mitzvah? And they were like, are you joking? And I'm like, no. They're like, you want us to sell you fireworks? I'm like, no. I want you to shoot fireworks from your house. And it took a lot of effort but they were very honored mm. that I asked them to take part. And you yourself were witness. I saw the fireworks. And they were gorgeous. And they were a, mm. a, a thing that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, and mm. my daughter as well, that like, there were beautiful Arab fireworks at her bat mitzvah. And that's something that we'll always, we're always right. going to share. And
0: it's an experience that you honored one
1: another. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's important to say, obviously, he honored me by helping me at my bat mitzvah. Mm. But what needs to be understood is no, you also I honored, honored him, him by right. asking. Absolutely. By,
0: right. Right, by inviting him to give him right. that opportunity. That's, that's right. important. And so and I think things like that are very important. It was, it was Especially really in a city like Hebron.
1: Right. In Hebron. Mm-hmm. In Hebron. I, I, I got my Arab friends to shoot fireworks for my mm-hmm. Ba mitzvah. So like, that's amazing. So, so, so you have an Arab mayor who is a self-avowed enemy of Israel and is a Jew killer by himself. From Zoulson. the Abu Sinanah family. From the Abu Sinanah family. Uh, and uh, and then you have you know the Jabri family, mm-hmm. who we have a very different relationship sure. with, and we the the settlers of Hebron, are the quote unquote settlers of Hebron are the leaders in the effort to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. So
0: there no, you I go. I, th- I think it's uh, strategically very wise. Like I said, you should be on the front lines of peace efforts. I'm I think saying the so. Jews who live in Hebron should absolutely right. be.
1: I don't like that word peace, though, if, if you don't mind. Like, that's my, the, you you, you have don't a lot like the of, word? I don't use the word what peace. What word would you use? First thing, let's remember that the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. Mm-hmm. Shalom is one of God's names. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to overuse God's names. You're not supposed to say no, the word shalom. I'm using shalom. an English word. I'm saying, but you're not even yeah. supposed to say shalom in the bathroom, for example, because uh-huh, it's right. God's name. So that's correct. Don't overuse the word peace. We, we, we're not looking for peace, mm-hmm. uh, we're looking for, for respect. Respect. To give respect. To get respect. To give respect to those who give respect. To to get respect from those who receive our respect. We That's the right word. And and respect is a much healthier, stronger, and I'm talking about the kind of respect of like when the Irish mafia and the Italian mafia are like, agree, the 23rd street is where that's the end of the Irish mafia's uh, uh, border, and then it's the Italian mafia's, and then you say, yeah, we respect each other. All right. Or he disrespected me. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Although that's still a separation paradigm. At, at this phase. Mm-hmm. At this phase, let's work with respect. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I'm not... We are separate. We have mm-hmm. a different culture. No, we have different, separate identities. Separate it's identities. Like, it's like
0: when tourists want to know... Do the Palestinian and Jewish kids go to school together? Right. right, right, No, nobody wants that. Right, we don't want it. They don't want exactly. it. Exactly. But that doesn't mean we it doesn't mean we don't want to live together. That's and it fine. doesn't mean we don't want to interact. But we have identities that the West doesn't understand. Right. Identities that are very deep, that we're very attached to, that we're not willing to compromise that's on. Right. We right. have very different educational curriculums. Absolutely.
1: Very different histories we're yeah. telling our children. Very, and. And that's what I mean. There's not, That's exactly I mean. what I mean. It's like, I don't mean it's separated like. Mm-hmm. Like with a barrier, but at the end of the mm-hmm. day, Jews want to live with Jews, Arabs want to live with Arabs because of that cultural world that you speak of, and that's okay actually. That's okay, that's not, a, that's not an anti, that's just a natural thing. By the way, when Russian Jews move to Israel, they want to live around Russians, American Jews, they want to live around Americans. It's, there are cultural things that keep us together. Uh, in this case, it's more than cultural, it's ethnic, and it's also the very basics of our belief systems that doesn't mean that we're not related, mm. we are related.
0: Right, and there are similarities of course.
1: Absolutely. Right. But uh, but the bottom line is, I don't like the word peace. I don't think it's a healthy word, and mm-hmm. I think even if it was a healthy word, it's become bastardized. Maybe. So I just stay I away mean, from may, Maybe
0: words. a better word in terms of the work that I'm involved with is unity. I'm interested in unity between the peoples of this land. That includes shared struggles against those who have been exploiting both of us all this time, have been driving us into conflict with one another. I also, to a certain extent, take a very materialist approach, even though I am living, uh, let's say, a life of Emunah, and I do experience the Yud Kei flowing through me and all that I do, and I'm very grateful for all that he's done for me, and everywhere he's brought me, and, and all the blessings I have in my life. I'm also aware that a level of truth... You know, just like when you're learning Torah, there is the Pshat, and there is the Remez, and there's a Drash, and there's a Sod in reality, in real politics, that exists as well. And it's important to be aware of what's happening on the pshat level, and it's important to be aware of what's happening on the sod level. So I think that, at least on the pshat level, we have to be very sensitive to the material realities, who benefits from the Oslo process, for example, because there are people who actually benefit materially and monetarily from the Oslo process, from the separation <laughs> paradigm, from building the wall, from the fact that there are two different cell phone companies or two different uh, groups of cell phone companies that are servicing different communities, Yes, like all of these things, and of course, everybody buying the weapons.
1: I'm, uh, on that level, mm-hmm. I am in full and total agreement mm-hmm. with you. Uh, what I mean to say is that the... First thing, let's, let me just talk about it Like clearly. A different sovereign on the land is, to me, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, And again, is, if you... Well, if, that would
0: be a betrayal of Jewish history and identity.
1: Right. And, and also, again, back to the Torah narrative. Mm-hmm. If you have a Torah narrative in your head, you know that you don't want any other rule, including a Philistine rule, mm-hmm. in your land. You don't want that. So, and you want to fight that. You want ph- uh, Philistine control was something that King David fought against. Right, but yeah. according
0: to our sources, a Noahide, somebody who's, uh, who is living according to the seven laws of Noah, who call a I was talking Gentile. about history, history. But even in history, history, our allies of the Arab- in this land, our allies in this land, who are really our allies, like the Kenim, for example, right, Sure. they're encouraged, we have an obligation to encourage them 100%. to set up their own court systems, to set up their yeah. own political bodies to a certain extent, right. within reason.
1: That's, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But let's get the big picture yeah. clear. There's, you're absolutely right that there can be, there are... Let's, let's make it clear. The, the Torah says to us, be very hard on the bad guys. yeah, But be very but decent to, be, yes, to I agree. people who A, accept 100%, 100%. your sovereignty
0: 100%. and want to live in
1: your land yes. in, in peace. Even,
0: it's interesting. Even the Ramban. You know the Ramban? Sure. Nachman Rav Moshe ben Nachman. He's very important to us because the Ramban states clearer than any other authority in the last couple thousand years that we have an obligation in every generation to liberate our land from foreign rule and to not let any of it fall under foreign rule. He makes a very interesting distinction in the end of the book of Bamidbar between those who want sovereignty over our land and those who just want to live here. That's right. And that's an important distinction to make. That's right. And that's like, for example, I think we absolutely had an obligation to fight British rule in this land. We had, no, we had to fight British rule. But today, what you said about it, who are our enemies, who are how we treat our enemies, how we treat our friends, but we have to be able to identify what an enemy is. Just right. like we have to identify what the goals of Jewish history are now and what's standing in the way of us achieving them, we have to be able to identify Who is standing in the way of our liberation? And I think it's very important, just like I encourage all of my friends and all of my students to ask, what are the goals of Jewish history? What's already been achieved? What's left to accomplish? And what can I do to be part of advancing Jewish history forward? I think we also have to ask the question, who's standing in the way? You know, Yair Stern, from the Lochamei Chirut Yisrael, the Lechi, the fighters for the freedom of Israel, made a very important distinction between the Tzorrer and the Oyev, between the persecutor and the enemy. He said, the enemy is he who's standing in the way of our mission. You know, even during World War II, he identified Britain as the enemy because they were occupying our land and they were a barrier to us being us. We have to be able to look is a barrier to us fulfilling our mission in history. That's how the Sitra achra works in history. That's how the, the enemies of Israel, not just somebody we have beef with, not just somebody we have a disagreement with or a misunderstanding with that we have to fight. We have many of those in history. The Moabites weren't the enemy. The Moabites were another group we had to fight. The Philistines weren't the enemy. They were another group we had to fight. The enemy comes into this world through four very specific empires who stand in the way of our liberation, who stand in the way of our mission, and who take our place on the world stage.
1: Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that sounds that sounds good to me. Uh, um, it's not always easy to identify who that is, and sometimes it's a composite. Sometimes there are composite elements in, in, in different characters. Um, be it as it may, we're living in a time of, of great ambivalence, and I would say to everything that you just said, which is good and fine, that really... In the year 2020, mm-hmm. on the secular, on the uh, Gregorian character, um, the real enemy today, mm-hmm. miraculously, is just us. We're the last enemy right now. You like think so. in this I mean to say that in the sense that really our... The Soviet Union is gone as a power. The jihadist or Arab world or nationalist Arab world is weakened tremendously. America... It's, first thing, it's in a certain amount of decline, although economically it's still strong. But it's in a certain kind of internal tension that it has. But it also is is basically saying, and you could see the American population is saying, "We don't want to be involved in the Middle East so much more," mm-hmm. especially because America and other other forces were involved because there was a Soviet Union that was it used to be. No, but part of the problem, it's not because it's a one, Union. one second. I, 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 I don't I, agree I'm, with that analysis. That's fine, and and, and I'll and I'll give you mm-hmm. your opportunity to say it. But my point is, I'm getting to the real mm-hmm. the real bottom line, which is Israel's today able to decide for itself. It's almost a spiritual battle only within ourselves today. It's like it's like we have economic strength, we have an army, we have a religious awakening. We, for, a, a great symbol of that is the Temple Mount. It can be, if we wanted to, tomorrow a place of the Third Temple, if we wanted it. But we're just not consciously there yet. Uh, and right now I would say the greatest challenge to us is educating Jews. To fall in love again and to know the, the internal narrative of the Torah, the, the Bible, however you want to say it, the bottom line is is that that's where we that's the real battle. Like I don't let me put it this way, there, I don't think, and I know you disagree with me, and that's that's fabulous, but I don't think that there is an empire that is, is standing in in our way anymore. It's 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 to me it's if that that uh, uh, officer friend of mine in the army would know our narrative, we could have everything. It's, there's nothing well, standing are, in our way anymore. Those are two anymore.
0: different conversations. And I think part of the conversation has to be... Is there an outside power that has an interest and makes investments in more and more of our people not knowing their identity? Meaning, is that something that's just happening internally, or are there forces that want us and promote the distancing of our people from our identity? And I believe that's very true, and I think you can see it. In fact, I've seen studies done about the education ministry and, and European involvement in certain things, and I know you've which seen education ministry. The Israeli education ministry. That was what I'm no, saying. But, no, but receives, That's what I'm saying. But receives funding to. and influence from outside sources. Fine. Meaning, for whatever reason, there are governments sources. in the world. There. OK, I agree with you. There's internal and external. We have to be able to identify how to make ourselves stronger, but we also have to be able to identify who has an interest in us not making ourselves there stronger. There are many forces yes. that are interested okay. in that. There are so many was,
1: forces. And they like, are active like anything, they are totally committed. To, to bringing us down and weakening us. And the way they're doing it today is through mm. this war to keep us away from our own internal narrative. I totally okay. agree with you. There, there's also
0: a culture war in Israeli society, that, and one of the sides
1: that culture war is backed by Western civilization. That's fine, but it's all in our hands as never before. Okay. Never before in history, mm-hmm. for, for the last 2,000 years, have we, and I'd say 3,000 years, well, well also, have we had this much internal ability mm-hmm. to control our fate. And, to, right. and, to, and, and, to, and I think
0: what, what drives these outsiders crazy is the fact that no matter how much they invest in their side of the cultural war and their proxies here and the Israeli ruling class, that the Israeli population that is more tribalist and more connected to their identity <sighs> Is growing these so-called
1: mezuzah kissers.
0: The mezuzah kissers, right? Yeah. I think in the Knesset there's these two like frightening politicians to the ruling class. There's the Miri Regev yes. and the Batalos Smotrich, right? Like, and they're both scaring right. the pants off of and, and, the old elites. And
1: Miri Regev even more than Batalos Smotrich, because Batalos Smotrich is, is an awesome, and I foresee by the way great things for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to say, I just want to put that on record. I foresee great things for him. Noted. Um, but Miri Regev is this like lady. Mm-hmm. From like not exactly like deep religious you know convictions, but she's out there fighting a culture war mm-hmm. and doing it successfully and bringing the what we call in Israel the amcha, mm-hmm. the amcha. Uh, Batsal Smotrich is not an amcha man. She's the amcha, the the, the, the people, the nation, the mm-hmm. regular folks, mm-hmm. and they are just there's there's a
0: and it, it scares the the establishment. It
1: scares them, and she is also fighting it uh, mm-hmm. really audaciously mm-hmm. and doing it with style, mm-hmm. with humor, mm-hmm. with grace. Uh, when she wore that dress, uh, you know, of of Jerusalem, this big Jerusalem dress, and it just was like, the, the, she has a way of of really bringing that love, that in simple internal love for Judaism, that simple knowledge and connection to our sources, and and I only wish there was greater success for me. I could see a battle inside the education ministry to teach the Torah, mm-hmm. the Tanakh, and our stories in a better way, in a more in a way that people love them. If you ask any Israeli kid. They'll tell you the worst class is the Tanakh class. They teach it in a way that makes you hate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you taught it the way you teach it, okay, people would be like, "This is awesome. This is sexy. This is alive." And this it's is, their story. It's yours. It's yours. It's cool. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to believe in it in like a in like a right. God said. Mm-hmm. Like this is just our great right. tales of who we are. Right. Even if it's just our mythology. Our mythology, our right. legends, right. our narrative. Right. You know what I mean? Our formational stories. Mm-hmm. Our 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 dream. What do they call it in the Aboriginal language? Our you know our, our dream language, whatever. I, you know, I was in Australia sometime. You know, tell it like that, mm-hmm. but make people be like, "That's cool. That's us." And I think that that's the greatest battleground. So I don't disagree with you, but I'm saying, unlike any other time in Jewish history, it's it's in our hands. <laughs> Yishai, thank you so much for being
0: with me. Always a pleasure to have a spokesperson from the Jewish community of Hebron, and always a pleasure to have you, my friend, on the show. Uh, we have some disagreements, but we also have many agreements, and uh, listeners can find you in Hebron, right? They come to Hebron, they organize sure. a tour, they go through the website. What's the website of the Hebron well, Jewish we, community? Well,
1: y- you know, you could always uh, check out just Hebron.com. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Uh, and, and you have
0: your own activities outside of this absolutely right? and where can and people learn more about you Just at you have a Fleischer. podcast right? I have a podcast you have a called podcast. the Yishai Fleischer Show the Ushai Fleischer and Show and
1: I'd love it if you would give me permission to play this uh, on my show uh, and uh, just at Yishai Fleischer on Twitter mm-hmm. on Facebook on, on YouTube etc and even at uh, Ushai Fleischer at Gmail it's really that okay. easy uh, or YishaiFleischer.com it's really easy to connect to me uh, and uh, I want to th- throw it back to you and say you're doing great work You're inspiring thousands of of people around the world, especially young people, who would easily uh, be disconnected from this great time. Uh, You have an an amazing style and, and you've taught a lot of people, including myself, so I just want to wish you uh, continued atzlacha and strength amen, amen. in your mission to to bring uh, Shem's presence into Zion.
0: Amen, amen. This is Yudah Cohen, Brit Chazon, Vision Magazine. Listeners can check out the show notes at visionmag.org backslash thenextstage20.